So if you could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, as we have been doing in our supper sermons this year, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we're at a critical moment in the epistle itself. There's been a lot presented in chapter 1, especially of the greatness of Jesus, and now there's a conclusion, and we need to give heed to this conclusion and to the great salvation that we have. So Hebrews 2, I'm just going to read the first four verses. That will be our text and our meditation for the sermon this morning. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, that would be Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, uh, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. I'm going to read that again, Hebrews 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. When you have a therefore, you understand we have to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And what the therefores in the Bible are there for is to remind us of what was there just before and in the immediate context. And Hebrews 1 has been a marvelous revelation in that to consider in the preaching of Jesus Christ. In fact, the entire epistle of Hebrews is to remind us just how great Jesus is, and we have been reminded that he's the Son of God, that he's the heir of all things, the creator of all things, the upholder of all things. He's the one with a greater name even than angels and a greater being and a greater ministry and and so on than angels. That's what's there. And so that gives weight Tremendous significance to the therefore, which calls us to our response. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, that is, of Jesus and his salvation, lest we drift away, and so on. So, we have this wonderful calling here, and it's the first time in Hebrews that there's this calling, really, the first of five different warnings and exhortation passages in the entire book of Hebrews. We'll visit them from time to time as we go through the book. But the idea is that there is this great God is presented in Hebrews as far greater than angels and 
as earthly priests and Old Testament things. And therefore, there's a response that is called of the people who are recipients of this great Savior and salvation. And so it must be according to the greatness of him. If he's a great being and a great Savior, therefore, there must be a great response and a great way that we show off the greatness of this Savior. And so we want to consider the great response, which is both negative and and positive, that we take heed to the great salvation that we've heard in and from Jesus and his apostles in the apostolic ministry, and that negatively we don't drift away and we don't neglect these things that we have heard and which we believe. And so we want to consider uh, taking great heed to the great salvation. Let's put it that way. That'll be the theme. And then that great salvation, first of all, taking great heed to it, and then understanding the need of great mercies. And this will have to do even with the last song that we're going to sing after, after the sermon. Well, the apostle or whoever was the human writer that the Holy Spirit used to write Hebrews has spoken to us here and speaks to us here of things we've heard. He's speaking to the first century believers who evidently many of them were Jews in danger of going back to Judaism for which this epistle was written first of all, but also for us. And we must give heed to the things we've heard. And the things we've heard are summarized as so great salvation. And that's the idea between verse 1 and 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him? So the things we heard are the things of the great salvation. And that's why we want to focus on that at this time. I do remind you that Hebrews has a key concept in the midst of all of its warnings and its teachings. And the concept is hearing. Hearing the things of the gospel. And so let's hear carefully what God would say to us of the great salvation. Well, the great salvation is simply the gospel, and revealed in the gospel this thing that God has done, this wonder, this salvation in Jesus' blood through his resurrection, we enjoying something of his own glories, and by his death we knowing the forgiveness of sins. That, in a word, is the great salvation. And it's great because it's spoken by the Lord, By Jesus, he has great things to say. He had great things to say in his earthly ministry. And after he rose from the dead, and also he does speak these things to the apostles and through those who have gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that refers really to anybody who's heard the gospel and would witness of it. But I do want to uh, just forewarn you or, or tell you ahead of time, I'm not going to dwell upon the apostolic ministry that's presented here. That's a confirmation of the word, but just want to focus on the great salvation. 
the great salvation. Now, we need to hear that. Great salvation. Salvation. It should thrill our hearts to hear of that. The gospel, the good news that there is deliverance from sin, its guilt, its punishment, its everlasting consequence for those who refuse to receive him and believe in him, that's hell, and the, the great miseries that accompany those in hell. We've been delivered from that. That's what salvation is, something that is a deliverance from the greatest evil is the salvation of the gospel. The greatest evil is sin, transgression against the commandments of God and the consequence, the wages of sin, as the Bible puts it, which is death. We've been delivered from that. The problem is not the economy, stupid, as somebody once said a while ago, I'm showing my age. The problem is sin. The problem is not anything here below that prob uh, is problematic to us, the problem, except for sin. It is sin. We are those who need to hear salvation from sin. We come to church and we bring our young people and children so that they can be the generation following that knows these things. The problem is sin, but we've been delivered from that. It's guilt. It's it's condemning power and its hopelessness we've been delivered and unto God, to the greatest God, is this salvation something that delivers us. We are delivered into the hands which are embracing hands and arms of God. You know that? You might not have had an embrace this week or maybe even ever that you've really been satisfied with but the embrace of God is everything. It is the lovely hug of the divine Savior, the great God revealed in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the great evil from which we're delivered by this great salvation, so great a salvation. And that's the great good into the arms and fellowship and friendship of God We've been delivered to, and it's by this great Savior of which the Apostle's been speaking in Hebrews 1. He's simply incomparable. And even great is really just the word that we use here, but we must not be slipping into comparisons, really. He's greater than a mountain. He's greater than a rock. He's greater than this and that, even though the Bible does lead us to to do those kinds of things, but there's an incomparability about this salvation. You can't compare it to anything of the world. You can't. You can't compare the deliverances that the world offers and world leaders offer, their peace, their prosperity, their liberties. You can't compare those with the things that the gospel presents to us and gives to us in Jesus Christ. You can't compare, compare the, the president and the king and the Lord of this salvation with any president and king and Lord of this earth. You can't compare the love 
of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can't compare that love of God which effected this great salvation to any love and compassion that people may say they have. There is, in fact, something that is being emphasized here, and that is that you can't compare the condemnation of those who neglect this salvation with anything else either. Notice how the text speaks of the comparison uh, and in, in reminding us to take earnest heed to the things we've heard, to the gospel and the great salvation, lest we drift away, and then it compares it to the Old Testament. Verse 2, For if the words spoken through angels... By the way, that's the law. In a mysterious way, not only was Moses on the mount, but angels, thousands of them we read in Deuteronomy 33, in Acts chapter 7, Galatians chapter 3. Angels were there directing the words from heaven, especially the Ten Commandments, sounding forth from heaven's holy place to be heard by the people of God's good pleasure. So, if the words spoken through angels on Mount Sinai prove steadfast and sure and true, and steadfast and sure and true, especially in this way, that every transgression, transgression and disobedience received a just reward, if that were the case, how much more is the condemnation and the surety of it a reality if we neglect so great a salvation, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation of one who's far greater than angels, who's spoken in a greater way by himself? God has spoken in these latter days by his Son and then by apostles to confirm it. How shall we escape who have such a great news and a great thing that's happened to us if we don't care a snap about it or simply ignore it and in one way or another just have better things to do and greater things to think about than the riches of salvation in Jesus. This is the the thrust of this text and this first warning fired across our bows by the Holy Spirit. Now, I could go on and on about the greatness of the salvation and also the great threat that it is, and, and I, I will presently go somewhat into the, the threat that avoiding this and ignoring this is but I want to speak here in the second point about the calling that we have to, to do something about this. See, the gospel's here, the gospel's preached here, and the gospel you've heard, most of you, all your life long. And the calling is, what do you do with it? 
What do you, what do, you do with it? That's the calling. We preach here the, the sovereignty of God, the greatness of God, and the balance is, therefore, there's a great responsibility. People don't know really how to put these things together, and I, I admit that there's a, a problem we have. If, if God is so great and if grace is everything, well, then why? <laughs> why do we have to worry about the response or even not worry, but why is there a necessity to respond? And even to heed a warning like this, and this is puzzled people, a warning that if we do not take seriously the great salvation of God, if we don't give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, we're going to drift away. Or we're not going to escape Wrath, that's the idea of verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We'll drift away and that will lead to lostness. And some have said, well, the apostle here, or whoever wrote this, the Holy Spirit, must be speaking simply to unbelievers here, to unbelievers maybe in the congregation. But I don't believe so, beloved. I believe he's having us all here for this warning time, just like this morning. Warning in the morning. We need it to wake up. And so there's not here anything less than a threat, which... Even the canons of Dort say is necessary, threats are necessary to preserve us in the faith, not to scare us away from God, but to put the fear of God back in our hearts where all we were concerned about is the fear of tomorrow and not having a job or still not having a friend. So what is it to take heed? Well, simply it's to hear and to do the words that we've heard. It's to be doers of the word, having heard the word. That's the idea of that word, take heed. Often the sense of obey, obey the words. Earnestly, very carefully, very attentively. You hear the truth of the gospel in its details. You take care to hear every word and to value every word from heaven because every word is of the great salvation. Do you value Jesus, for example? That's the word we're hearing every Lord's Day. Do you value him? Do we value his blood? Do we thank God for his, the blood of the atonement that was shed for me on Calvary's tree and shed for you? We are those who may not take this lightly. That's what the apostles saying here. Don't take this lightly. Uh, be, be conscious of this and be aware of this and, and love this. Jesus and his salvation more than anything else. That's what hearing the word is. Failure to hearing it, neglecting, is to let the word drop. To, to ignore it, to let it fall by the side. 
Have the devil snatch it away, as Jesus reminds us in the parable of the sower and the seed in Matthew 13. Hear the word, he says. Take heed to the word. Be those who have it abiding in you. And if you don't do that, here's the consequence. First, you're going to drift away. And if you keep on drifting away and you never come back to Jesus, then you won't escape condemnation. That's how the Bible is putting this together here. A serious warning this morning. And may this warning be heard as we rise up in this place. Hear the word of God and don't ignore it with regard to your troubles, with regard to your successes, with regard to your relationships. Hear the word of God, every word of God. Hear of the great salvation. Hear of the means of grace and take them seriously. Every word of God. Take Romans 9 seriously said to be the forgotten chapter in the Bible with regard to theology, speaks of God loving his own and hating the wicked and being the potter, creating some into to dishonor, to condemnation, not as an ogre, but as a wise and holy God, creating others unto salvation, and he's the one who makes the difference. We don't. Forgotten chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. Love one another. Not just if you're married, but if you're next to anybody. Or even if you're not. You love people, all kinds of people. Another chapter that's often forgotten, Matthew 18. Work out your problems with one another. Before you bring it to the church or to anybody else and everybody else, in your line of hearing. Hear every word, lest you drift. Now, what does that mean, that word drift? It's used only here, lest you drift away. Take heed to the things you've heard, lest you drift away, just so that you don't drift away. Well, it's used as this Greek word here in classical uh, usage. It's only used here in the New Testament, but in other places in the, in the Greek, the Koine Greek, Attic Greek, used to describe the, the slipping of a ring off of a, of a finger. Or of if you swallow food and it goes down the wrong pipe, it slips in a different way. It's also used in a in a mariner's sense, as you, you slip past the harbor, maybe you're in the fog, and you, maybe you've lost your anchor and you've slipped out and passed where you should go, and then you're lost at sea. In that sense, I want us to consider just for a few more moments on this, this concept of drifting away this concept of it being a slipping past the harbor and our missing the safe passage to heaven, even. That's the idea. Well, beloved, this drifting away, 
some have said is the besetting sin of modern Christendom. Drifting away. Just drifting away. Hell is filled with drifters who've been in the sphere of preaching. They've heard. And they've heard the fire and the brimstone and the still small voice of the Spirit one way or another. But they've drifted from it for one reason or another. Very subtle. Drifting is a, is a kind of a, a calm term, isn't it? Doesn't speak here of those who violently protest the cross, but of those really who are ignoring it, who don't take it so seriously at all, at least they know it all, and they, they take it lightly. And then there's this great thing called the world, matched with their own nature and inclination to take things lightly of the gospel. There's this world and the currents of the world and the fog, the fog of the world that wants us to think there's greater things than Jesus and his salvation and there's greater problems than sin, your problems, my problems, the economy or global warming. So we drift in the current of the world we drift away. We find ourselves, no, we don't even find ourselves. We don't even know it. Not abiding in the word of God. Not doing the things necessary to persevere and take responsibly our calling and even the threat here of being lost forever. So we just drift along. How does that come? Do you, do you hear me, beloved? I... I tell you, I pray for this every Sunday and, uh, or before every Sunday, and I'm all, I, sometimes I regret praying it, but I pray, Lord, preach to me first before I preach to you. Well, God smacked me right in the face and in the heart this day with this idea of drifting away. Not being so close to Jesus as I once was close to his church as I once was, close to the friends of God as we once were. Something's happened, very subtle, hardly noticeable. There's inwards like this that lead us to drift. Ingratitude. That can lead us to drift. Not thankful for what the Bible says we need to be thankful for, first of all. Not showing it. In attention, not only to the word, but to the world. Understanding that the world is against the gospel. Love not the world, John says. We don't pay attention to that. We're just in the world, and that's taken over. We're floating along in our boats toward the reef of destruction. We're indifferent. We're insensitive. We're indulgent. That is, we indulge in the things of the world. We're inconsistent. 
We say we're friends of God and all of our friends and buddies in the world in the week are unbelievers and they bring us down. We're influenced more by family and friends or even foes than by the gospel. Well, how does this hit you? The call here, beloved, positively is for an intentional Christianity. Said this before, it just keeps on hitting me. God makes us to be his own and he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, not to float with regard to his good pleasure. We don't float. Don't float. Swim if you have to. Struggle, though. The struggle be great. This is a sign that we're floating. There's no struggle. A leaf on the river isn't struggling, nor is a dead fish. What are you? But a sign that you're, you're getting it. That you don't like this drifting thing called nominal Christianity. Professing Christ, maybe, but not possessing Christ. Don't like it. Just being a superficial floater. So there's repentance that's worked. And you want to go against the stream of the world's desires and your desires. Understand, beloved, beyond the port is the breakers. Are the breakers? They're going to kill you. Or down the river is the cataract, the Niagara Falls. It's going to kill you for sure. And that's the word about drifting and against it. Don't drift. Don't drift. One sign of a person who's not at all going to drift is right after this sermon, you talk about the sermon. Not about my sermon itself, but about the great salvation of the sermon. And you're then, as one has put it, an expositional Christian for the rest of the week. Now, what does that mean, expositional? How are you going to be it if you don't know what it is? Well, it simply means you want this word to come to you and to be taken in by you and it to abide in you and it and you and it as you see for yourself how this all is put together. This gospel thing as a prophet and priest and king and not just the, the minister or the elders or some guy with a big head who reads a lot of theology. But Christianity is for thinkers. And so the sermon keeps on preaching. It's the gift that keeps on giving the rest of the week. It inspires, or nothing will, you to swim, you to be guided, in the boat to Jesus and not to drift along and go with the tide and go with the currents 
Go with the opinions. You see, this is what we need, isn't it? Now, beloved, I, I'm one who's going to take this to heart. Are you? The therefore is for me. And I, this is what I, how I read the book. Therefore, I must give the more earnest heed to the things I've heard, lest I drift away, lest I be lost. Now, just a word on that. Is there a word here that says there's a possibility that once saved, you're, you're going to be lost? Well, beloved, in light of the rest of the scripture, absolutely not. There's no possibility that a child of God will then be a child of the devil. What happens is that in the church, in hearing the word, the true drifters and the true lost are revealed when they don't react to the word. But the children of God who act like drifters and who act sometimes like reprobates, they are pricked in their hearts to repentance, and that's what's happening here. There's a winnowing, there's a a rightly dividing of the word of God and a rightly dividing of the congregation by God himself and not by any of us. We seek to divide the congregation, that's wrongly dividing the congregation. God himself has his way separating the wheat from the chaff. We don't do that. We wait until the end of time. And God will do that. But meantime, let us separate ourselves from ourselves. That is, there's the floater self. I'm separating myself from that. No more. No more of this ridiculous aimlessness throughout the day or parts of my day, or Saturday, where I'm indulging in self and disregarding the great salvation, thinking that my time is my time, and forgetting a month ago when God said to Julia, come home. Just like that. It can happen to you and me. Just like that. May we not be found drifting, but taking heed to the word of God. And may we be glad. May we be glad, very glad. For this is how God blesses us. And he reminds us too. And he wants to remind us drifters who are just shamed, ashamed right now. There's mercies. There's mercies. We'll sing of that presently after the supper. But let's now participate in those mercies in the participation of the supper. Amen.